Welcome to the Murray County Art Podcast. I'm Mike Mitchell, the Arts Director of Mount Pleasant Schools in Murray County, Tennessee. Um, today our guest is Sarah Gillum, a photographer who lives in Santa Fe and works throughout Murray County. Sarah, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. So the first thing I really want to jump into, um, <clears throat> I feel like we met at a Tennessee Arts Commission um, workshop and you had chatted about a project that you were working on, the portrait project. Um, I know it was on the front page of the Daily Herald recently. It includes a lot of folks. <clears throat> I added that it's 290 photos. Is it larger than that now, or is it growing larger? Just tell us a little bit about that project. Yeah, uh, so the portrait series itself started as a personal project um, that I really wanted. I just was slow in the winter months, as artists sometimes are, especially in my field. Anyway, so it started as much like what you're doing, as a way to get to know other artists in the community, and I originally had a call out just for artists because we have the wonkiest schedules uh, and we're available during <laughs> nine to five hours uh, and that morphed into more of like a really huge desire to get to know my community um, I hadn't lived here for about 13 years and moved back um, in about 2012 and so I've been 2013 and so I really just wanted to get to know my hometown a little bit more and it has grown from just a here and there to um, the last time I put out a call for anyone who wanted to be involved in the project was on a first Friday uh, that we have in our hometown and 134 people showed up in one evening about two hours um, so that grew my numbers exponentially so I think um, we're about 320 I think total um, of portraits of people I've taken around uh, Murray County so this this spans the county in a way to just sort of highlight who we are. <clears throat> and in looking at those photos, when you say we, we're much more diverse than people probably think, right? Like no. people probably have an idea about what Murray County means. Um, and I would say that those photos pretty intentionally fly in the face of that, right? Yeah, that's definitely morphed, uh, as projects tend to do, you start with an idea or without an idea, I guess in my case, just like let's just photograph people. And then it's tur really turned into kind of a way to fly a flag in everyone's face gently to tell them, hey, we're, we are exactly what you said. We are extremely diverse here. We have uh, a population of people that span age and race and gender. And, you know, what I've found that's been the most amazing part is, you know, I started to really focus on our connectivity, which is just that we share a place. And what I'm actually finding is so many more similarities, which is I haven't met anyone who's ugly. And I mean, there has not been one ugly person. And I mean that in all the ways. Uh, there, I've, everybody that I've met has been so open and kind to this project, even, even unwilling necessarily participants who just stumbled upon it that I just asked to be involved, which happened a lot during this project. Everybody has something to say. Um, I've started calling people randomly since I'm unable to share this publicly yet um, and just started calling people, asking how they're doing, and everybody wants to tell me how they're doing and tell me a little bit about themselves, and it's all 
pretty awesome. Everybody's so nice. The talk a little bit about the format of the photos and why um, why they're that size. For me, they seem big, but I know they're not big in relationship to seeing um, a lot of contemporary photography. But they're they're not snapshots either. Well, I love big format. Uh, I just am drawn to it in general because it's just I think you know in your desk drawer snapshots from home they, they tend to be small format four by sixes or eight by tens or even in shows even in gallery shows photography tends to be you know the largest scale i don't know that i'm used to seeing is probably 16 by 20 um, but a lot of that historically speaking is because we didn't have the darkroom capabilities to make things much bigger than that without some pretty heavy duty high expensive high budget um equipment so because we are in the digital age i wanted these images to make an impact beyond the image of the you know it's a very simple portrait it's all the portraits are have the same format they're all shot on a white background and they're turned into black and white um and they are being displayed at 48 by 48 inches on vinyl uh, wrapped aluminum being capable of being shown in any weather outside. Uh, the goal is to be shown outside. And um, I wanted to make an impact with each image and, and really show us how important we are together. Um, if you just saw this as a single image, it doesn't quite have the impact as it does to see many faces larger than life. And it was, you know, it's within my power to make someone larger than life as the artist. And I just think that that that's the way this project has made me feel that these, that this is, this is a special place in that we get to share it together. And there's so many different people and it's, Oh my gosh, it's been so amazing to meet all these people. So this is kind of my monument that I'm erecting and, and to show in my sincere respect for the people that live with me in this place. That's interesting. I like that you said it's a monument. Um, I think oftentimes we culturally, or at least I do, think of photography um, in two ways. I'm looking at it in a gallery, or which is fairly public, um, and then, um, or I should say, not fairly, relatively public, and then because fair gets a that's the wrong word about galleries, um, f relatively public, and then or very intimate, like I'm looking at snapshots or I'm looking at them on my phone. And so, but the idea of a monument really pushes the idea of a public space. So the same way that an Alexander Calder um, sculpture is in the heart of a city. Like I like that you're talking about that these can be shown outside um, prior to kind of shelter in space or shelter at home. Um, were these, were there, was there a plan for them physically to be outside in an environment and talk a little bit about what that looks like and then future plans? Yes, this was definitely being billed as a large public event. Um, I had volunteers in place to text everybody that has been involved in this um, to invite them and their families and their friends. Um, that was you know, the high point of this entire culmination of this idea was 
not only am I bringing together a group of a body of work that you can view and which you can view on my website and it it's, it's has a, not as big of an impact as it will when we, when we see it together but think of this so not only have I put together this project in a way that you can visually see us together but now I have invited everyone who's participated and their families and their friends and their grandparents and their children to all come together in one space and celebrate us all together at the same time. So physically, emotionally, hopefully, this will culminate conversation, which is the whole point. Maybe you meet someone new, and that's what, and, the, and that's why I've chosen to make it an outdoor format. So right now, um, thanks to the grant you mentioned that I was awarded, and the city backing, I have 12 large scale 48 by 48 inch that's four feet by four feet if you guys can imagine that um, photographs of people there's 12 of them and then on the back there's a nine by collage nine images all square because um, i wanted to make sure everyone who has been involved can be involved so i didn't leave anyone out um, but right now that's the only <laughs> that's all i could afford um, and Columbia Neon, uh, our local fabric, they still fabricated frames for these so they could be placed to the ground, kind of like visualize a large yard sign that you might put your house for sale for. So these, all these slide into these and they're, um, were slated to be installed and shown March 20th. That was the, basically the week that we were told to socially distance and I just didn't feel like it was appropriate to go on with the show. So um, at Rowan Company, if you look that up, it's in the heart of the Arts District. Um, and I wanted to start in the Arts District because that's where I kind of started back in Columbia. And um, my studio is in the Columbia Arts Building. Um, and then from there, it will travel. It's a traveling show. It, um, the city parks and county parks have agreed to let it float around the city. So I'm bringing it to communities who might not have met, you know, Samuel or Eliza or John or all these other people that, that participated. So it will slated to move from Rowan Company straight to Fairview Park. Um, I was hoping to hit the summertime with the pool open over there, but um, uh, either way, it'll there go there and then it'll go to Yanali, uh, which is a newer park in the county, and then it'll go to Murray County Park and so on. Uh, so it's meant to be outside. I want to promote outdoor movement. I, and, and also, you know, I'm thinking of where do we all have access and where do we where can we all gather um that puts everybody at ease and it's open to all and our public parks was just a dead ringer great and they've, they've opened it with open, you know they've received it with open arms they all are up for it behind it um so yeah so i really want to keep it circulating outside it's cool and plus you know our, some of our friends who are less uh, interested in being socially uh, involved can see it from their cars with no problem um, or maybe some of our friends who have trouble getting around can still see it from their cars so. I love that you talk about access I've been talking to a lot of educators um, both here in Nashville and in Murray County and yesterday on a call I was really struck by the folks at the middle school and equity and access. I love that. Really everyone I've talked to in Murray County um, realizes that 
there was a time when that wasn't always on the forefront of everyone's mind, but it seems pretty clear now that it's, um, it is on educators and artists' minds at the very least, um, which means that's two very powerful places for it to be on the minds of that maybe in the past it wasn't. Um, so I love that you're thinking about that as well and how those your work in a gallery, though powerful, means something very different than your work in a public park. And that I like that photography, there seems to be in the last, you know, 25 years, a lot more of those photographic installations that are understanding that, um, that a portfolio of, for an artist is going to include lots of different kinds of work, um, that is, has levels of access, um, and that, that, not that there's anything wrong with gallery, I love galleries, I love going and seeing work in galleries, but, um, but it's not always true that people always feel welcome in those spaces um even though there are some really amazing galleries doing lots to try to combat that and do that so um have you shown this work in a gallery will it be in a gallery as well like have you been have people reached out to you or are you reaching out to folks to try to broaden how that's going to be seen um for now no i i've talked to west Evans company about doing some um, from like a historical perspective, because I did, didn't didn't mention this, but all of these images um, will be donated to the Murray County Archives and available to any of the people who were involved, um, so they can go get their picture anytime they want. Even they could even use it as a headshot. Um, but so no, I, for now I really want to keep the purpose where it is. Um, but there is another leg of this that's really exciting, um, and and I'm really. I'm even hesitant to share it, but I think I think it needs to be shared so that it, the momentum stays forward. If you don't mind me going a step further on this, I don't. All twelve people that listen to my podcast are going to be super <laughs> stoked about this. <laughs> oh, it's like I'm on NPR. Um, okay, so after the project is realized for a while, maybe a couple months or maybe six months, it'll become retired, just briefly, and it will make its way through. Um, Murray County public, private, and homeschool sectors, um, in which point it will be paired with an artist, um, and we're going to Wizard of Oz that business and turn them all into color um, through whatever medium the artist that has been paired with the students would like to do. So whether it's collage or something super funky, multimedia, I don't care. Um, and then we, of course, extend this to letting our kids be involved and um, older students maybe even just give it to art four and five students or whatever. Um, and now we've added another whole collaborative process, which I think really goes back to the heart of how I feel as an artist and a member of this community is that sort of pay it forward mentality. Let more people touch it, let more people be involved with it, share it. You know, I've always thought this way about I'm such a smart mentor told me, you know, you can either fold your arms or you can open them. And I just totally believe in the idea of giving it to more people and letting more people be a part of it. And that just makes it stronger and more beautiful. So they will go back out in the community. They will be turned back into color. Um, and, and of course, with the integrity of each person in check and everything, which is why I want to pair it with an artist. And then uh, they will be resin coated and returned to the wild. And uh, so people can see them with 
new, fresh eyes and have the perspective of those new artists and students. Well, that I feel like that really pushes the monument part, right? So you have individuals who maybe haven't had their picture taken or photograph taken or image making, however you or they think about that um, in a way that's going to intentionally be public. And so you've already given them that reverence, right? You've offered them something that they probably, some of them have not felt or had before, even if they've been around cameras a lot of times. I mean, I don't know a ton of people that have um, photographs taken by fine art photographers that they have in their home. Like that seems to be this really um, limited kind of experience. And so you've connected with folks. And then on top of that, they're then going to then be put into a school setting where they are as an individual going to be studied, right? Like, well, who is Samuel? Well, what we know of him is this biographical information that we've been given by the photographer, Sarah Gillum. And, and so they're going to then use that to inform how they're going to add color back to him. Um, and then that goes back in. So this person is going to see a second memorial that's went from a one-on-one -on -one to a large audience to like actually a lot of kids thinking about them back to this larger audience. Um, and so then those kids are going to be connected to this monument, right? In a different way than when they looked at it before. I think that's a really exciting thing. Um, also, I love that it just really kind of blows up the idea of the preciousness of a photograph. Um, you know, like when we're going to, we're going to ruin these, right? We're going to, we're going to scratch them and we're going to scrape them right. and they're going to get collaged on like, but like that there's this initial, like, you know, I'm sure detail Ansel Adams style of like, this has to be, I need to print this perfectly. You know, like Dan Arbus saying like, Nope, I don't want any scratches. I want that. Like, I love that you're following that tradition of like, let's make them the best we can make them. And then moving towards like, yep, now you can do whatever, right? Like it's totally up to you. You're going to turn them into something different. Um, so tell me a little bit about like where you studied photography, um, and then the kinds of tools you're using to make photographs. Okay. Um, I studied photography at MTSU. Um, before that I was a photojournalist for about seven years. So I kind of cut my teeth in small community newspapers. Um, and then from there, uh, Let's see, I guess I was in newspapers for four or five years before I went back into the college setting and finished up my photojournalism, well, photography degree at MTSU, but I had candidacy for journalism, so I kind of call it my backwards photojournalism degree, but, um, and it was all in the dark room, so we actually never touched a digital camera, um, so really I got a fine art degree to accompany a journalism experience, so, um, and then I've kind of held on to that pretty tightly since then. Uh, I've worked, I guess, three newspapers and a, um, a magazine had like a bunch of different titles that we worked under. So I worked as an editor, reporter, photographer, and then freelanced when our son was born in 2008. So I've been freelancing full-time, part-time, however you say, since 2008. Um, and I use a full digital system, obviously current and clients need things soon. So if I do a marketing or advertising job, it's pretty, it's pretty typical of what you would see 
um, you know, we live shoot Tether and have a pretty big production team. And then if I was just shooting for myself or sometimes every once in a while, I sneak film into a shoot, but um, I shoot a lot of film. I shoot all formats, 35, 120, four by five, eight by 10, every possible format and uh, develop every possible way you can just about. Um, I have a home dark room, um, which is our second bathroom. It's huge. Uh, I have a five foot sink, that, which is our second bathroom sink. So, um, and I uh, do traditional film development, black and white. I don't do any color. Uh, usually Walgreens could do color better than I could ever. Um, and then I do historic processes. So I do uh, salt printing um, for all you nerd artists history photography buffs um that was the very first photo process to create a positive image after the daguerreotype and tintype and then i do cyanotypes which are common if you super super fun if you ever want to just google a kit it's non-toxic safe around kids super fun you can do contact printing um but i do those too down there outside that's an outside project it's awesome and yeah i love it all i love it so um, you said slow in the winter months early on. So you were just referring to as a um, as a freelance photographer. Are you shooting weddings? Are you shooting events? Are you shooting anything that comes your way? Or have you found a niche that you'd like or that serves you well? Um, all of the above. Um, I've done all of that. And I still, every once in a while, will take on those like longtime clients or like close friends. So I have like two weddings this year, but it's because I know them and they're friends. Um, but I have been a wedding photographer. I used to be partnered with another photographer for a few years. Um, and I've shot events in the past. I'm definitely headed more toward um, a more documentary commercial work. Uh, that's mostly what I'm targeted towards. So like personal branding I've done and like, commercial work for marketing and advertising more of what you would call an industry like lifestyle and editorial um but yeah i've done it all photograph babies in buckets (laughs) (laughs) so um uh tell me a little bit about this mentor that said you can either fold your arms or open them anyone listening that is starting out uh, uh, or is not starting out or is stuck I, I just cannot tell you the benefit of having someone that has more experience than you and to let them fill your noggin with everything that you possibly can know I've had many mentors um, in many different forms and not all of them were photographers uh, I would say I wish I wish I cannot directly quote that but um please google these people tamara reynolds is an incredible photographer um and her latest work about uh, revolves around the drake motel and it is there are no words because her photos are what you want but um she's been she i called her one day she went through the same program i did um I just wanted to know how she, she she was doing work for like Reader's Digest and Publix and 
I was left journalism and didn't uh, just assumed everybody shot weddings and did family photos and but that I knew that was not something I wanted to do um, even though I enjoy it it's not where I wanted to focus my work um, I had bigger fish that I wanted to fry I guess I wanted to see more try more experience more so she brought me in and I've assisted for her on test shoots and really understood etiquette on set and learned how to um, talk about what a client needs and help articulate that during meetings. And um, then another mentor of mine is Russ Harrington. Hope, I hope you're listening, Russ. I'm going to send you this link. Um, and I'm not going to lie, he was not friendly when we first started corresponding. <laughs> And I think I still have the email where he was like, keep shooting everyone, there's a camera, as a photographer. I'm pretty sure that's a direct quote. <laughs> and I just didn't let it go. And I followed back up with him a few months later and was like, still will be free on a set. We'll do anything. I will go get your laundry from the cleaners. And um, and this, I'm going to remind you too, this, let me just tell you, this was, my, this. I'd already finished my career, or not my career, my Education. I'd already worked for the Tennessean. I was in my mid twenties. I was not graduate from high school. I was already had a, had a career and left it. So I was, you know, not a whole all the way wet behind the ears, you know. So I, I kind of knew how to handle what I really thought I knew more than I did. What what boiled down to, and he was a, or is a celebrity photographer and. Sure enough, he finally called me one day, and here I was on the set with Marty Stewart and Connie Smith, and was like, "Okay." And what struck me about him and Tamara both is is is, and I what I really strive for, and what I think I do well in my work is that we are all the same. I treat every client the same, with the same respect and the same manner, and it, it, I think that just is just super essential. Um, I wish I would have. I wish I would have started having a mentor when I was 15, 15 right. or 12 or yeah. before I knew everything. Right. Uh, um, but anyway, so, yeah, there, I, could, I could list many mentors that aren't photographers as well. But Yeah, well, that, that like, mentioning the, you know, Tamara Reynolds, um, you know, you and I had talked. I wanted to ask you the question. For me, I feel like photography is unique in the sense that Growing up in art programs that are still so lopsided in both uh, gender for professors, but also in just who gets taught, um, photography is unique for me because um, though I know of lots of really incredible male photographers, when photography comes up, the first people to pop into my head are women like Lorna Simpson or Sally Mann or Deanna Arbus. And I'm wondering if that's because I had Susan Bryant, who was a super rad professor at Austin P, who put those folks in front of me, or is it, um, you know, is it the one field that in, you know, I'm curious about your MTSU experience. Did did you get a lot of female photographers put in front of you as well, or just curious about that? That's such a good question, and um, I want to speak to the. What I feel about is it, are the birds too loud out here? No, it's great. The reason I, I I was almost late because we saw a yellow-throated warbler for the first time on our feeder today. I, it's <gasps> a life so it's a it's a life bird for me for all the bird nerds who are. Yeah, uh, no, we're super birds. Um, 
bird nerds, we even like make notations about the dates when they fall on our feeder. I think right now it should be gross beak season. You're being super nerdy. We haven't seen them yet. My mother-in-law is in uh, Goodlettsville, and she's got blue gross beaks on her feeder, and we've never We're had waiting. them. Yeah, so. them. Fingers crossed. Yes. Um, all right. I will just do that all day. It's like, look, a chicken. <laughs> um, so to speak to your point about women in photography, I am totally drawn to that. Um, I'm totally drawn to women, and, and maybe obviously as a woman, but I feel like we, we as women, and I'm, I'm not even going to talk to myself cause so far back in history, where we're allowed, you know, into this, we were, we had access because like any, anyone can be a photographer, anyone. That's, I, that's another thing I love about photography. And as a mentor now myself to some young people, i that's my biggest hurdle to cross, to cross for them or to just knock off the list is you can just be a photographer. But I think there is a tenderness to the way women perceive photography that that you just cannot deny. You know, there's just a maternal warmth to women's approach to photography that is just undeniable. Uh, and I mean, Dorothea Lang would be at the top of my list because of the content that she was asked to create. Just, you know, there were other photographers during the FSA that just did not come close to the way that she was able to make your heart ache uh, it's just something else and you know Mary Ellen Mark would be another one I'd put in that category and Sally Mann too you know immediate family that collection is so painful and beautiful and raw and true you know and as a photojournalist it's one of the things I love the most about photographers and is the story whether it's fine art, true life, documentary, illustration. It's just there's something that you can't, there's no way around it, and there's no way around it. Maggie Stieber is another photographer I'd love to mention. She, um, I used to teach at the Art Institute, and I taught photojournalism, and I had her Skype in with my students. She's a National Geographic photographer, cover, has been on the cover. And she, um, pretty sure her cover story was the one of her mother in dementia but it might have been there's another collection but it's so tender it's just and I just think that that's something women are able to convey in this medium that I've not felt the same way about men um, in this medium and I mean that I see that in, in everything as a, as a family photographer I've seen that um but I'm not saying anything to my male counterparts because there's some really talented guys out there. Um, there's just something a little bit more touching, maybe. Um, I don't know. And so, were they were they put in front of you at MTSU, or did you just find them? Like, and I'm and and kind of the second part of that question is, I'm curious now thinking about how you just said that was there so much access for women because it took photography so long to be considered an art. And so like there are maybe less, like people were less worried about like others shooting on cameras over there. And then by the time it was considered an art, it's like some of our greatest artists in the 20th century were those women that you mentioned. I think because, yeah, I think hindsight's 2020, all the puns, but you know, like Vivian Mayer or Imogene Cunningham would be a great one to, 
referred back to in this if you're Googling as we talk, but she did Platinum Palladium, I think. And um, every all the photographers were in front of us. We had extremely intense history of photography. I mean, I scooted out of there with a C because it was the hardest class I've ever taken in, in any of all classes of my entire career as a student or taught or anywhere close. I even I even taught history photography and I tried to make it as hard as the class was and it just didn't pay it failed. But uh, we had every every possible photographer. I cannot imagine we left a photographer out of that class that I can even consider. I mean, we went all the way into modern photography um, where we did go back in time sort of where we could see when art caught up with photography and, you know, they stopped considering it a more mechanical mm-hmm. art or form and started bringing it back into. But I had a one female instructor, Jackie Hegel, who was also a mentor. Um, she's incredible. And she, um, you know, the, all three of our instructors at the time they gave us everything they could give us. I think I, I think maybe as a woman, I just gravitated toward the female uh, artist. But um, I definitely do. I don't have any. I think I have one Ansel Adams book. I don't have a bunch of, you know, I don't. I don't they're all women. That's, that's interesting. I think I have like a Henry Cartier Person book and a Ansel Adams book, but everybody else is going to be women. Um. So. You've talked about your hometown, um, of which I think you're referring to Columbia, kind of, and you've talked about the Columbia Arts Building. Um, I guess we were maybe in a show together. Joe Christie asked me to be in a, a an exhibit. I think that might be where I first saw your work. Were you in that show that was out in the little garage? Like, yeah. Okay, so um, that. Um, and it blew me away. Um, it totally, totally exceeded what my expectations of what was going to be happening in Columbia. Um, and so I've, you know, asking people who, um, I asked Kristen Larkin, I was like, you know, is, is Murray County like the best kept secret within a hundred miles of Nashville? And kind of asking you the same thing. And inside of that, like, can you think of artists, photographers, musicians, any creative folks that we also should know about or that you would suggest for the podcast? The Columbia and Murray County definitely uh, has its hidden treasures. And I've I've always thought that, um, you know, it's kind of like we spoke before the podcast about how you lived in Nashville before it was cool. And um, I feel the same way about Columbia. You know, I feel like there's some people moving into this area that – feel like they might be discovering it but in truth they're just getting caught up you know um there the Columbia Arts Building when Holly Freeman decided to put that idea she was I I feel like she's a little still ahead of her time but I'm so glad it's there um it's really become a haven for other artists to kind of find each other and find their tribe and you know it's kind of like a beacon (laughs) like a like you know totally art alert um and so i'm super glad that she created it it's kind of it's definitely like a safe haven so to speak not to not to use that term incorrectly but um yes there's so many artists here i don't even know where to begin i might have to just send you a list um which i might just do in post but um 
Yeah, that's no. fine. And I don't, I've, Kristen felt no. bad. She, she was like on the spot and I don't mean it like that. I just know that, you know, um, you know, Joe could show anywhere and he's, you know, headed south to Columbia to be around Frank and work with him and start the toy company thing that they're working on. And, um, so yeah, I would love it if you send a list later and I could just addendum, I can add it or change it on the podcast. Yes. Um, um, Craig, Craig Carlisle would be at the top of my list. He's, um, a very well represented artist. And, uh, I think he's got a agent in New York, Chicago and LA. Um, and he's creating art in Spring Hill. Um, and he's, you know, he has collectors. He's, he's, he's quite an amazing person. I've had the pleasure of photographing him and I have a couple of his pieces, um, in my house. Um, I mean, I'm just picking on him, but there's, oh my gosh, there's just so many people. I would love, I'm going to send you a list because awesome. extremely good at circulating that kind of Yeah, that, that'd be great. And we can, you know, we can just do an addendum to that, to, right. to that later. Um, so the last two years I didn't intentionally do it, but I noticed it and I'm going to intentionally do it for this year. So I read, um, I read, uh, Dean Arbus's, um, autobi well, it was autobiography or biography. And then I read Sally Mann's, um, hold still. Um, of which is even more heartbreaking since Emmett committed suicide. Um, and I'm curious if she's ever going to do an addendum on that. Cause, and the only reason I think that is she wrote so openly about her experience with her stalker and all that stuff was so new to me. I just knew the controversy that swirled around her work. And I knew that, um, I knew it in just such a, um, such a black and white version of the story. Some people think she's making pornography. Some people don't. And then to hear the kind of richness of all of that and then all the folks that she knew. And, um, so anyway, I've read two of the most incredible, I've read these biographies, autobiographies. Do you have other photographers that, and specifically female photographers, um, biographies that you've read that I should know about? Or is there an artist book that you've read that you would love other folks to read? Um, we, yes, I do. I don't know about biographies or autobiographies, though. I feel like that is a great tool to kind of get in the head of somebody that, you know, I just think that's clever, a clever way of kind of seeing their perspective. I loved the documentary about Vivian Mayer just because it's so... You know, you can take it and leave it for what it is. But just seeing the images that she took and had no interest of being known. Um, and there's, you know, it's kind of photographer. Photography to me is to musicians is to you know, just because you may never, somebody may never be famous, but they may just be exceptional in their work. And I'm a totally fangirl my dad, but he is this exceptional guitar player. I mean, right in there with like Mark Knopfler or Jeff Beck or just some of the top players I've ever seen in person in my life. He's never, he's didn't want to tour. He didn't have to tour to be exceptional in his work. And I think that's why I like the Vivian Mayer uh, documentaries because 
there's so many photographers out there that are never going to want to exhibit their work or show it or share it or anything that, you know, they may never choose it as a profession, you know, um, but I, one of the books that I read that it's always, there's two of them that have always stuck with me. Um, and this may be a little out there for some people and, you know, but Ishmael and the art, then the art of motorcycle maintenance are probably in two of my, and illusions are probably up there and they're a little, they're a little wooey, a little philosophical, but I think it gives you the larger picture no matter what you are creatively aspiring to, um, whether it is making a home or making art or making a garden, there's, Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You have the unique honor of being the longest podcast we've done, but the conversation was so great. Like I didn't want to stop it. Um, and the first two were with students who, um, I literally put on the spot and I did not, they, they, they did an incredible job. If you haven't heard those two, those two young women are really cool. Um, but I, I'd intentionally kept those short because, um, I didn't want to get them to that spot where they, they, you know, I was proud that they w were willing to do it anyway. Um, but it's a, a tidy 41 minutes. Um, but I think it's so great. And thank you for sharing all those artists and you're going to send the other stuff. And I just so thankful and grateful for the work that you're doing um, with photography and the work that you're specifically doing in Murray County. I can't wait to share it with folks. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Murray County Art. Mm -hmm.